Money FM 89.3, best of workday afternoon. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Good afternoon and welcome to Market View on Money FM 89.3. I'm Cloris Montero for the Workday Afternoon. Joining me in the studio, finance presenter JP Ong. Now, before the lunch break, the SDI was actually looking a lot happier than it did yesterday. Yes, absolutely. And I'm happy to confirm that the Straits Times Index has now found its inner strength and second wind to lift itself back above 2,500 today. We are seeing the Singapore benchmark trading at 2,509 points. That's 24 points in the green or about 1% higher. So definitely a better day and also some pretty healthy turnover. Not as much as we saw at the same junction yesterday, but when you see 671 million Singapore dollars in total trades changing hands, that's a pretty healthy bump up for markets. And maybe investors here also deciding that that the sell-off that kicked off the month of August might have been a bit overdone. But we're also seeing many markets across the region starting to show more signs of an improvement. Um, We have the uh, Nikkei 225 still uh, holding on to very strong gains, up by about 2% in today's session. It's starting to pair back a little bit. It's now just um, up by about 1%. 0.7% 0.7% so far. The ASX 200 in Australia also just looking a bit sheepish, but still in the green. Let's take a look at that. The ASX 200 actually up by about 1.9%. I take that back. That is not sheepish. That is a solid move up for the Sydney benchmark. Um, the South Korean KOSPI also trading about 1% in the green today. Um, markets in mainland China uh, a bit more uh, sluggish so far. The Shanghai Composites trading about 9 points down, so you're not seeing a huge capitulation from the Shanghai benchmark, but the Shenzhen Bourse also down by 06 so just a little bit of shakiness out in mainland China. Um, we can return to that particular topic in a bit. The Taiwan Weighted Stock Exchange in Taipei also up by about 1.2%. And we also have the Hang Seng recording a gain of about 200 points in the as we head into the afternoon session out in Hong Kong. So what seems to have changed across the region and what seems to have given markets just a little bit of a boost? Well, we did report actually, and over the last 24 hours, we did uh, see a number of encouraging PMI numbers across some of the major economies in the world. China's Caixin PMI gauge expanding by more than expected, 52.8, showing that there's some strength among the small and medium-sized manufacturers out there. Japan, South Korea still in contraction, but improving month on month. The United States, are their ISM figure, also expanding yesterday for the first time in about six months. So there's some strength out there. And also, mind you, Singapore, here in Singapore, the PMI numbers which came out last night actually showed that there was an expansion for the first time in six months at 50.2. So some signs, at least, of some positive sentiment and upside coming from the global industrial sector. A lot of this also coming on the back of a possible recovery that is now being challenged by rising COVID-19 cases around say, the world. all these numbers were before this last wave Before this seen. last wave. So again, it always, you see the, how the goalposts keep on moving, yeah, right? Yeah. Now we suddenly, now the moment of truth will be, well, how is August going to be affected? Uh, and will uh, will we start to see some of these new, these uh, this recovery bounce? Will it start to lose steam moving forward? Plus, you also have rising U.S.-China trade tensions. Now, it's not even trade tension. Some actually believe that the trade issues between the U.S. and China might be one of the few calmer points, actually, <laughs> uh, flashpoints between the two countries. It's now shifted to a tech and uh, to a to a tech issue. It's all out bickering, JP. Absolutely, and but the flavor I think is definitely tech related, not just with regards to what's going on with Huawei, but also this new fight after U.S. President Donald Trump declared that he is planning to ban 
the TikTok. use of TikTok in the U.S. Now, this is a big deal because they claim that this has a lot of security implications. The high estimates point out that there's 100 million Americans who are active on TikTok's base. Oh, come on, let's <clears throat> tell the truth. President Trump is upset at TikTok because of all those uh, <laughs> <laughs> fake tickets to his Tulsa rally. You know what? That's also very That's also very possible that uh, he is because, uh, as we know, the uh, I believe it was the, uh, the K-pop army, mm-hmm. among others, actually uh, used TikTok to try and drive uh, the demand for tickets that actually sapped the rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This could be something that's grading um, President Trump also. But the other development we're watching out for also is Microsoft coming in and bidding for TikTok's U.S. operations. Now, I spoke to a man named Anurag Gupta, who's the COO of uh, ADA. They are a firm that specializes in artificial intelligence and also looking at, uh, at uh, social media platforms. We talked to him about what the breakup might look like. If there is a breakup of uh, TikTok, you might actually see two TikToks, a TikTok U.S and a TikTok uh, mainland China, but how that works out. And if you separate, what, 100 million American users from TikTok's overall universe, what's that going to do to the social media platform, right? The other question also is that TikTok's parent ByteDance has expressed that they would rather spin this off rather than sell it to an American company. In the Global Times today or the China Daily, um, you know, the, the government and state officials have actually said that they will not allow TikTok to be kidnapped or hijacked by the United States. That's the wording they used also. So it seems that even if uh, Microsoft, which has 45 days to make this uh, bid, actually gets this done, um, you know, the, the, there's also the question of, will this ByteDance want to sell off TikTok or just spin it off to try and separate them and insulate uh, a TikTok politically? But here's the other thing that's also that's adding more political uh, fodder or gunpowder to this. The White House trade advisor, Peter Navarro, has now suggested that if Microsoft uh, decides to buy TikTok, that Microsoft should think about divesting their entire holdings and their presence in China. Microsoft has operations in China and TikTok. Then this could also lead to another potential compromise in terms of Microsoft that could cascade into the global into the global space. Now, will Microsoft actually do this also? Well, Microsoft has about 6,000 employees in China and offices in Beijing, Shanghai, and Suzhou. And they also, and despite the fact that China only accounts for about 1% of the company's revenue, they say that a lot of their progress and, uh, and innovations with regards to cloud technology and AI have actually come from some of the research centers they set up in mainland China. Just to show and highlight just how intertwined the U.S. and China are, both economically and in terms of the tech uh, supply chain, for lack of a better term. And unraveling this is going to be much more difficult and intricate, and both sides could stand to lose. But overall, this still adds a lot of possible complexities the markets will have to factor in, despite the bounce up today for stocks here and across the region. Right. Singapore's, um, you know, despite the fact that the dividend yield is lower, it's still outperforming the region. I find this actually interesting because yesterday the SDI was weaker than most of the other markets right. in, uh, in the region. Well, again, most of the the uh, weight and the uh, pullback in the SDI has come from the banks. As we mm-hmm. mentioned, when you take DBS, UOB, and OCBC together, that's DBS about... DBS do much much better today. Much better today, yes. And I think maybe they've, they've just had enough. The pummeling has just uh, been, uh, uh, you know subsided. DBS shares are up by 2.1%. And let's just see how the other two banks are doing. Actually, not too shabby. OCBC is up by 1.3%. UOB is up 1.5% in the green. So this is a good day. But as we mentioned, when you take these three together, mm-hmm. that's about 40% of the entire STI's weight. So when these three wobble and fall back, then that pulls the STI down sure. with it. Now, one of the reasons why they were selling off also is 
because the MAS has urged the three banks to cap dividends, dividend payments this year to just 60% maximum of the dividend payouts they made last year. And some analysts have actually argued, especially those at Citigroup, have argued that the appeal of uh, Singapore's banks is mainly due to these d- hefty dividend yields that they have. Now, if they report lower net net profits, worse inco- um, uh, asset quality asset quality starts to depreciate de- deteriorate, and the dividend yields start to fall. Well, there's going to be less and less reasons to stay in there. Nevertheless, Singapore is yielded, has seen some of their dividend yields come down, but the perception is that the safe haven play for Singapore um, is intact. Remember that Singapore is seen as a as a defend as a more defensive market because mm-hmm. of these dividend plays, because of a lot of these these other markets. The tent uh, the prudent way in which markets here tend to behave for the most part, and despite that, they still have an attractive dividend yield of about four point four percent. Now we know that policy yield, policy rates across the world and interest rates have come down significantly. So where you're going to find some of these yields, if you have 4.4% against, say, the U.S. Treasury's uh, policy rates, which are near zero, well, that's a hefty premium that, you, that, that Singapore's markets and these dividend stocks will actually still possess. And it's still among the highest in the region, according to DBS's head of regional equity research. It also outperforms the dividend yields of the MSCI World Index at 2.1% at the moment and will still mean that Singapore still has some upside and still has a possible, uh, you know, it still has some shine at least as a possible dividend play. Now, I think it's going to be important also for investors to go out there and look at these companies and see how they're going to maintain their dividend yields. What's going to play into that? Well, what's going to play into that is how much debt they're carrying, how much cash they're generating or burning through, because a lot of this will also depend, will also determine how well they can sustain their dividend yields moving forward. And you're going to have to break that down from the rates, the banks, the telcos, and some of these other blue chips on the SCI that are also offering decent dividends also. You'll have to take each one of them account, but if you're, if you, uh, but I'd say top of your checklist there would be the amount of cash flow that the company is generating and how much outstanding debt they still have to account for because these are expenses that will have to take care of and might cause them to sacrifice some of their dividend payments or future dividend payments to meet some of these obligations. So mm. um, these are the things I think uh, folks will have to, uh, have to look into, and I urge folks to at least just look at each company and look at these particular metrics to determine if their dividend yields are in danger or not. And, you know, you can start by looking at AEM since their net profit more than doubled and their stock price today is looking pretty healthy. They are booming. And by the way, they are the most heavily traded offer. It's not often you see a second liner trump the likes of DBS and uh, Singtel in terms of value turnover. But there it is, 19 million shares. So far, trading for AEM, about 77 million Singapore dollars in total value turnover. And what do you know? It surged by about almost 15% a day, trading at $4.20 a piece. And again, this comes down to good old-fashioned profits. We have seen AEM report solid earnings in the for last couple of for yeah, quite a while absolutely. now and first half net profit uh, at least for this year despite the pandemic they've reported that first half net profit has more than doubled to 55.3 million Singapore dollars and they're saying it's because of a favorable product mix higher revenues and also operational cost efficiency so they're hitting it from both ends they're trying to expand their sales and revenues and they're also trying to control their costs and reduce it so that the margins kind of expand revenues for the six months ended June 30 get this jumped a whopping almost 82% because they saw business segments record higher revenue due to an increase in sales orders from existing and new customers. Keep in mind that AEM 
their particular position in the supply chain, the semiconductor supply chain, is they provide chip testing equipment. And one of their biggest customers, which some analysts estimate comprises 90% of the revenues, is uh, Intel. Is it um, still Intel? It's still Intel. Ninety. I mean, ninety. If, were, if the it, estimates are ninety percent, like a wobbly relationship at some point. Well, I think it's always a question of concentration risk. Now, mm-hmm. so if Intel suddenly hits a pothole, then you're talking about a company that sells nine out of its ten products to Intel. So if Intel suddenly wobbles, where else can you? What else can you fall back on? Now, Intel has also indicated though that there could be some headwinds down the road because they did say that some of their next generation, their seven nanometer microchips, might actually be delayed by at least a year. Mm-hmm. And if there is a delay in in the production of those chips and they have to start outsourcing that just to meet uh, some of their deadlines and make sure it doesn't fall too far behind. Well, what does that mean for their demand for potential demand for chip testing equipment later on, which will then mean, well, what's that going to do for demand of AEM's products later on? But that's a problem that AEM will probably will have time to address moving forward. Nevertheless, let's not take the shine off of AEM where their first half profits with more than doubling and also declaring an interim dividend of five Singapore cents. There's that dividend play once again. This is more than double the dividend that they play, paid last year. So whenever you see a company that's actually showing, when it, we've seen this now, like when the company actually sh- uh, puts out that they're going to declare a higher dividend than expected or, or a positive upside to their dividend payments, that does uh, draw the boys to the art, really. And uh, and we saw that play out with the SGX last week, and yeah. it seems to be playing out in some sense for with AEM. But I think that these, uh, no company is bereft or exempt from challenges. And I think uh, in the next 12 months, they might have to answer or try to adjust to some of these potential challenges if Intel does face delays to their next generation chips. Well, okay, yesterday I struggled to find some upside to end uh, market view on today. It seems like there are many upsides and and happy stories (laughs) to end market view on and and let's do it with SGX. How's their stock trading the today? SGX today is going from strength to strength. <laughs> they have held on to this. And 2.7% in the green. They are trading at $8.74 a piece. Keep in mind that SGX or the SGX was one of the only if my, I, I think I it was one wrong. of three in the SDI yesterday. And they actually closed in the green yeah. and not just uh, not just in the green but they actually saw shares rise by what was it 4% that mm-hmm. is a very not just a good day that is a great day for SGX shares and they continue to maintain that that momentum but and I think one of the things that's carrying SGX right now is also because they also declared a dividend that was six percent higher year on year for their last quarter, and the, uh, many analysts were actually caught by surprise. But they say it was a pleasant surprise, and really we could use a lot, a few more pleasant surprises, right? Yeah, no. Right and now so, the investors are going to be very happy with any of their stocks that are going to give them more dividends. Right. Well, actually, any dividend. Right, and I think it's also fair to point out, or in, it's 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 a, it's a it's important to point out that the SGX has also profited from a lot of this trading activity we've seen, sure. in uh, the, especially in the second quarter. And when the demand for derivatives and the demand for equities and fixed income and their many instruments goes up, the exchange that operates some of these will ultimately win. Um, you know, if this if we start to see heightened trading activity and volatility once again, who knows? Maybe the SGX will prove to be that winner. Krishna Guha of Jefferies has actually said that of the financial stocks, he's liking the SGX more than the banks because he feels that they're dividends won't be under as much question or scrutiny or under um, under as much of a cloud of uh, uncertainty as the big three. As I say again, Jeff, you are buying dinner. Ah, there you go. <laughs> oh, it's from drinks and dinner now. Huh? Okay. Drinks and dinner. Hey, let's... <laughs> 
you know, extra dividends and all that. I'm Clarissa Montero. He's JP Ong. This has been Market View on Money FM 89.3. JP will be back in prime time for another Market View update. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.